Yeah, we're proud of you. You and, uh, what was that guy's name who's gone to South Africa? Uh, Chris, yeah. <laughs> uh, did you get a tattoo? Yeah. You and Chris both have them? So you're taking Spring House to Australia? Woohoo. <laughs> okay, that, that's part of the initiation. For those of you who are new, <laughs> I didn't know that. You guys are crazy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, two or three things I need to, to mention to you. Uh, one, this afternoon at 4.30 will be um, Lamplighter's production of Shadowlands uh, in here. The, the room will be rearranged considerably. Uh, but, and, and I came on uh, dress rehearsal night, but I've heard the last two nights have been very, very good. Uh, and I encourage you to come to that. Now, if you're new and you're interested and you want to go hang out with me for an hour, at 4 o'clock I'm going to be doing an orientation, uh, a springhouse orientation, down at the other end of the, of the building in the youth room. And I think there's going to be cookies and stuff down there as well. So, you know, if, uh, uh, if you need a bribe to, 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 to come, then uh, we'll, we'll do that as well. But if you're interested in just learning more about the church, um, come, 4 o'clock. Uh, uh, we'll spend an hour talking about it. And then uh, at the close of each service, I need to mention this because this is something new. Close of each service, there'll be one of the pastors out at the out at the welcome center, the pastors connect area, and so especially if you're new and you'd like to, uh, you'd just like to to connect with one of the pastors. Then uh, I believe it's Pastor Wayne who's going to be out there today, and he's kind of scary, uh, but uh, but he but he really won't bite. And uh, I encourage you to just stop by and introduce yourself to him. Uh, today we actually are. Let's see here. Yeah, I think I've got enough room. Let me let me move this over just a little bit cuz I don't want to don't want to step the wrong place. But today we actually are no, actually mm-mm. Yeah, this is this is what I had to do last week and I'm going to do it this week as well. We got to We got to have some roaming room. I mean, I'm not like Barbie. She you know, you know she goes from there to there. I'm I'm a up up and back kind of guy. So I got to have some space here. Uh, today we're starting this series on Jesus' miracles. And as I told you last week, this was going to be uh, like a six-week series. And we had a six-week series on encounters with Jesus, but we just had too many encounters. And so we had to, but that's okay because people are more important than miracles. But the thing that makes miracles important is that they usually impact people. And we're going to be talking about that today. We're going to start off with Jesus' first. Would you stand with me? We're going to read John chapter 2. Verses 1 through 11. Okay, come on. This isn't working. So I don't know if they've knocked something loose here or something, but just hit, hit the enter for me. There we go. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the, time, when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, 
the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned to wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. This, the first of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed in Cana of Galilee. He thus revealed his glory, and his disciples put their faith in him. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your presence and your power in our lives. I pray, Lord, that the Holy Spirit would come and would inhabit your people today so that we might hear what it is that you want to say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Jesus' first miracle. Um, The first of anything in God's economy is important. It's important because it contains clues. It contains clues to the purpose of the thing. It contains clues to the, to the meaning of the thing. It uh, contains clues. Hit this again. You, you guys are going to have to watch me because I, I don't have anything. To the foundational principles of the thing. Uh, which book of the Bible do you think probably has more first in it than any of the others? Okay, do I need to make you stand up and like run around the room or something? I mean, that was a real simple question, okay? Actually, do something before you, do something before me before we get into it. Look at, look at your neighbor, uh, look at somebody next to you, maybe two or three people next to you, and just say, it gets better. Now, now turn to him and go, no, really, it gets better. It really does. Did I, hear some, did I hear somebody say, what gets better? Okay, look, you're on staff, buddy. You got you to be on my side. You'll find out. <laughs> you know what. Now, let me try this again. Which book of the Bible do you think probably has more first in it than any others? Oh, okay. Yeah, we knew that, did we? Yeah, Genesis. Yeah, uh, the first marriage. When Jesus was asked about marriage, he referenced the first one. For this cause, a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. That's how it was from the beginning. Uh, the first salvation takes place. I mean, there's some other stuff too, like the first murder and things like that. But the first salvation takes place in Genesis. That would be Noah and his family. And it contains clues to what salvation is all about. I mean, we are saved from sin, which the wages of sin is death. So we were saved from death through being saved from sin. Noah and his family were saved from death by being saved from that flood and that sinful generation. And how, how did they get saved? Well, Noah built a boat. 
Uh, but you know what? He did it by faith. Because God came along and said, there's going to be a flood and I need you to build a boat so that you can be safe through it. And it was like Noah had ever seen a flood before. Don't think so. Certainly had not seen one of that magnitude. And to be able to, to, to do what he did, he had to believe what God said. Not just that, there was only one door in the boat. wonder if that's got any significance to it. I suspect so. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's just one door. There was only one family that was saved. Woohoo! Whoever believes on him, he gives the right to become children of God. Children born not of a natural descent, nor of a human decision, nor of a husband's will, but born of God. Still, linking up there with salvation. Creation was included. It says over in, in, uh, in Romans chapter 8 that all of creation is, is waiting on tiptoes for the sons of God to be revealed. And the reason why it is is because the creation's been subjected to the curse. And man, they want to be set free. They got better sense about it than we do. Probably the most, uh, well, one of the biggest clues is Noah was told to cope the the ark that he built with something called pitch, inside and out. And the word for that in the Hebrew is actually bakofer. And literally, it means the price of a life. Literally, it means a ransom for a life. Another word that could be used for it is atonement. And so it was the atonement that kept that boat floating. A lot of, lot of clues in, in first stuff. And God cares a great deal about the, the beginning of important things. Over in Leviticus chapter 10, the, uh, the priesthood of Aaron was begun. Uh, Aaron and his sons were, uh, were anointed by Moses in a, in a ceremony before all the people. And it was such a, it was such a great and glorious time. And, and Aaron's two oldest sons, Nadab and Abihu, got so excited about it that they decided, let's just go burn some incense before the Lord. And they did. And it cost them their lives. Because, you see, it was unauthorized. And God was going, we're not going to start out on the wrong foot. We're going to start out on the right foot. Similar kind of thing sort of happened in the book of Acts with a couple named Ananias and Sapphira who decided to lie to the Holy Ghost in the early days of the church. That's a dangerous thing to do. It cost them their lives. So when the Holy Spirit sees, feels that it's necessary or worthwhile to tell us this is the first time something happened, then... That ought to perk our ears up. We ought, we ought to begin to go, okay, what are the clues here? What, what, can we, what can we draw from that? We need to pay extra special attention. And so I've basically got four things that I want to draw out of this first miracle that Jesus did that I'd like to share with you. There are probably more. You, you can probably find some more, but these are, these are four that speak to me. And the first one is that God cares about everything. In our lives. Here's about everything in our lives. 
you know, I'm not one of those, uh, I, I'm usually, I really am not one of those uh, repeat after me, speak to your neighbor thing. But just look at your neighbor and say, everything? Is he kidding? Did you do the second line as well? Okay, and then followed up with, it gets better. <laughs> yeah. It really does. <laughs> uh, he cares about everything. Now, the first miracle happened because they ran out of wine at a party. Uh, Who saw that coming? Now, this isn't, the issue isn't wine, okay? It's not, is wine good, is wine bad? Should you, shouldn't you? That, that, that's not, if that's, if that's the issue that you fixate on, then you're, you're missing something really important here, right? That's not really what the issue is, uh, the fact that he, that he performed this miracle in this way. Uh, to me, the issue is how we value things versus how God values them, how he looks at them. And we, we are so stuck in our evaluation. What is the word? Uh, matrix is not the right word. We're stuck in our, yeah, maybe it is the right word. Anyway, we're, we're so stuck in the way that we tend to assign value to things that we don't even realize how stuck we are at times. And yet occasionally somebody comes along and just blows the, blows the lid off of the way that we look at stuff. And when, when somebody does that, then we have a tendency to sort of be able at that point in time to go, oh, I get it. I've been, I've been reading a book this last week. Um, Almost finished with it. It's called uh, I, "I'm Feeling Lucky," and uh, it's but it's it's actually a, uh, um, confessions of Google's 59th employee, uh, sort of uh, first six years of, of Google. And there's a uh, <laughs> there's a little passage in it that I've read to a couple of people this week that really really caught my attention because I thought, ah, yeah, this is. Let's see. Okay, let me let me go here. This thing jumped to the wrong place on me. Here, now it's at the right place. Uh, Google had two founders. Had a, a guy named Larry, something or other, and Sergey Brin. And uh, Sergey, <laughs> Sergey was a real interesting guy. And let me let me just read this little passage here because it it can say it better than I can than I can paraphrase it. Um, the guy, by the way, who was writing this book, his name is Doug Edwards. He was in marketing. And he was talking about in the, in the beginning, you know, Google was an unusual kind of company. And it's still kind of, it still is, but it was a very unusual kind of company in that it didn't necessarily follow a lot of the rules that uh, companies were supposed to follow. And um, anyway, he says, confusion about overstepping boundaries is bad enough, but there were worse scenarios than crossing an invisible line. Sometimes a founder put forth a good idea. I have a good idea. Sergey informed Susan a couple of weeks after I started. Why don't we take the marketing budget and use it to inoculate Chechnyan refugees against cholera? It will help our brand awareness and we will get more new people to use Google. Our company was barely a year old at the time. We had no real revenues. Spending a million dollars of our investors' money on a land war in Asia would indeed be a revolutionary approach to growing market share. (laughs) Was Sergey serious? He was. How could I even begin to argue against such a bizarre suggestion? 
In past jobs, I might have disagreed with colleagues on using radio or TV or debated points of, of, of style and tone, but Sergey wasn't even speaking a language that I understood because the corporate world doesn't understand that kind of languages. Now, I, you know, being young at heart and being a visionary myself, I got it immediately. And I'm sure that most of you have gotten it, but it took this guy a few years. Looking back a dozen years later, I kind of get Sergey's perspective. Saving lives was a better use of our budget than running ads, which just annoyed people and therefore were evil. <laughs> Why not make a big donation to a humanitarian cause and build awareness by doing good? It had all the classic elements of a Sergey solution, a wildly unconventional approach to a common problem, technology harnessed to improve the human condition, an international scope, and an expectation that the press could be used as a tool. Who knew that? To forward our business goals. It's worked out pretty well for these people at Google. Things have, have gone pretty well for them, looking at things from a different perspective, from a different way, kind of going... Maybe the value that I have been assigning to that isn't really its true value. And maybe the value that I have been assigning to this was a lot lower than, than maybe what it should have been. You know, a lot of things come along in our lives. And they're easy to just kind of blow by. Uh, you know, if you have kids, when they reach a certain age, they begin to come to you with, Broken toys. And, you know, we live in kind of a disposable society at this point in time. And who wants to take the time to necessarily, you know, glue, a, glue our Barbie's arm back on? Or can you glue Barbie? Okay, you can't even glue Barbie. Uh, rubber band Barbie's arm back on. You know, who, who wants to take the time to, to do that or, or, or paint? What was the name of that thing that Isaac used to have that we had to keep painting the face on? Oh, it was Arwen's? D. D. Dolly. Yeah, paint D. Dolly's face back on. It's a cute little thing. Yeah, Isaac didn't have the Dolly. It was, it was, it was Arwen. <laughs> yeah. But you know what? When we get on the other side, when we get into eternity, when we get a different perspective on things, uh, yeah, click. I got a feeling that uh, broken toys may end up looking a whole lot more important than they look like here. And the things like, you know, the end of life. I mean, what could be more important and traumatic than the end of life? And yet, I got a feeling that when we step onto the other side, that might not have been as important and traumatic as we thought it was. It may have just been a little step into a much better place. And so God comes down and his son begins his ministry and he starts it out because they ran out of wine at a wedding. Well, now, like I say, who saw that coming? That doesn't seem to be important. The, the enemy, the way the enemy comes against us, though, is that 
you can't pray about this because it's not important enough and you can't pray about that because that's too important and there's just some little thing right there in, in the middle. That's where the sweet spot is. And that's where you think to pray. But the truth of the matter is nothing is too small and insignificant for God. And nothing is too big and too hard and too important for God. He cares about it all. He cares about everything in our lives. Second uh, foundational clue is uh, this. Do whatever he tells you. <laughs> I love the exchange between Jesus and Mary here. I mean, I just Every time I read it, I have to just, I have to smile. Uh, she doesn't tell him to do something. She just tells him about a problem in a way that implies that he should do something. <laughs> can, can anybody identify? I mean, you know, uh, Margaret never says, you need to go to the grocery and get some more butter. She just says, we don't have any butter. And I'm left to figure out what that means. Does that mean I'm supposed to get in the car and go get butter? Does that mean we can do this without butter? Does that, what, what are we talking about here? And so Mary just comes to him and says, they have no more wine. <laughs> and then I love Jesus' reply because I can hear, Mom... I mean, can't you hear that in there? <laughs> in fact, I, 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 I picture a boy laying on the, on the couch, or maybe he's, you know, doing something important like texting or something, and, his, and, and mom's saying, the trash needs taking out. You know, and the boy going, dear woman, why do you involve me? <laughs> My time has not yet come. <laughs> that kind of sounds like in a minute, doesn't it? I mean, you know. <laughs> and then she turns around and she doesn't say, you know, oh, but please, or will. She's not yet said, will you? She turns to the other guys and goes, he will do whatever he tells you. I, I love this exchange. It's so, it's so human it's so genuine it's so it's so real and it's always a good idea to do whatever he tells you but note this this again nothing that he told them to do was very hard it was all something they could do see the something they did Virtually every day. See those water jars? Fill them with water. We tend to suffer from the Naaman syndrome at times. You know, God, we, we want, or, or the Hercules syndrome. I mean, we, we give us some challenges. Give us, give us something to do, something, something important so that I, and that's not usually how God rolls. Usually it's something simple but something that requires faith. The hardest thing they had to do was have the guts to take a cup of water to the master of the banquet and hand it to him when he asked for wine. 
That was the big challenge. God does not ask us to do impossible stuff. Moses did not do any miracles. Moses did not part the Red Sea. Moses raised a staff. That's all he did. God did the hard part. Moses didn't bring locusts onto the land. Moses didn't turn the water into blood. He, he just struck the water with a staff. Anybody, I mean, I can do that. Anybody can take a stick and hit water with it. God doesn't ask us to do impossible things. He asks us to do easy things. He asks us to do simple things. He asks us to do things that, that we are capable of doing. And, and so often we blow by it because we don't recognize that's God. If it were God, surely it would be something, something. It'd be something that I could point back to and go, yeah, I remember when God asked me to, to do that thing. It was it's tough, but I'm a tough guy. The truth of the matter is, uh-uh. Because you see, when, 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 if that were the way it would go, who gets the glory? Tough guy and God. And so God asks us to do something easy. And then who gets the glory? Easy guy and God? No, just God. Because he's the only one to whom it's due. And so in, in looking at this first miracle, two things that I see is one, God cares about everything in our lives. And, and two, he doesn't ask us to do hard stuff to make a miracle happen. It's not like, oh, God, I need a miracle. You know, I, I, you know heal so-and-so. And God goes, well, I'll heal so-and-so if you'll go draw all your money out of the bank and send it in. Uh-uh. That's not God. That's a marketing ploy. God asks us to do easy things, things we can do. And you may kind of go, oh, you're making it sound easy. Well, no, I'm not. Maybe I'm making it sound easy because it is, but we don't do it even then. We have a tendency to go, oh, that won't work. You know, uh, fill those jars with water. It's wine we're needing. That won't work. And yet if we'll just do it, if we'll just do it, then he'll do it. Third thing, fill her up. Uh, I love what Barbie was saying. This is, this is, Barbie was kind of preaching this when she got, uh, when she got up here to take up the offering. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I had something I was going to say at that last point, and I forgot about it. But I'm going to go back and say it just because it's because I want to. Uh, it's great. I, you know, uh, even though Barbie didn't mention it, but she will do it next time. Uh, for those of you who didn't know, we have people come down and bring a dollar for the poor at, at, when we do offerings because uh, everybody can participate in that. I mean, that's an egalitarian offering, and and God loves the poor, and we have to think about bringing a dollar so that we can participate in dollar for the poor. And uh, it's an easy thing. It's an easy thing, but but God can do some powerful stuff through it. 
And when I got here today, uh, early, early on, well, actually not when I got here, when he got here, Jeremy comes up to me and he says, you, you don't have any cash on you, do you? And I thought, uh-huh. <laughs> actually, I said, no, I have my dollar. <clears throat> because I knew what what he was talking about. Well, but now here's the thing. When that, that is a very simple thing, all right? But one of the reasons that we do it is you have to think about it. You have to think about bringing a dollar. And in doing so, you think God loves the poor. God cares about the poor. Right before we went up, he was robbing Arwen of of her change (laughs) to get, to get his dollar. (laughs) <laughs> and and I thought, yes, yes, that's my son-in-law. <clears throat> you know, I mean, because it's not like, oh, well, I just didn't bring a dollar this week. Oh, yeah, that, that was worth saying. It wasn't because that's the kind of thing that we just blow by. It, it wasn't like, oh, I, I just forgot to bring a dollar this week. It was like, I need a dollar. That's what, that's what God's put on my heart, and I'm going to find one somewhere. And I knew he would. That's why I didn't give him one. Because <laughs> I thought, he'll find one, and next week he'll bring one. But especially after I talk about it in front of everybody. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, I was, but, but, but seriously, I mean, I thought, now that's, that's what I'm talking about. It might be easy, when it's easy, it's so easy for us to not do it. And if we'll just step back and go, no, I'm going to do it. Do whatever he tells you. Okay, and then fill her up. Six stone water jars, each holding between 20 and 30 gallons of water. Now, if you, if you think about that, and, and let's just average it at 25, that's 150 gallons. How many people were at this party? There might be some leftovers, you think? <laughs> oh, God does not squint. He, he's not a miser at all. I, uh, I once heard somebody saying, you know, we've got these little... Uh, salad dressing uh, uh, things, uh, jars uh, that we put our oil in. But uh, I remember, who was it? Uh, was it uh, Leonard Sweet in, uh, in his, his book that was talking about, don't use those little bitty bottles of oil. Get, get a big thing of oil for people to be anointed in because God's big. He does big things. And when he, and when he tells you, when he... When he you know, now this isn't a carte blanche to just do whatever. I mean, you, you know, it says says over in, in James that that sometimes you're asking you don't get because you're asking with wrong motives. You're asking just to satisfy your your lustful desires, and you know God's not going to give you sugar just because you want a spoonful of sugar to eat because it's bad for you. But but God, there's no shortage, and when and when He tells you, you know, when when He goes, hey. Do this much, or, or as much as you can. 
Go for it. Do those times. In Elisha's day, uh, when, when the widow sent to him and said, hey, they're going to sell my sons into slavery because my husband's died and I don't have enough money to, uh, to pay off the debt that he owed. He said, you got, any, you got any containers in the house? Go get all the containers you can get and we're going to fill them up with oil. Where are we going to do that from? Well, that's God's problem. You do the easy part. He'll do the hard part. So they went out and gathered every container that they could and filled every single one of them up. And you know what? If they had been able to gather twice as many, they would have filled up twice as many. And if they had only brought in half as many, they would have gotten half as many. Another time in Elijah's day, one of the times that, I don't know, I sometimes consider in my life, uh, Jehoash was king of Israel. And Elisha was getting ready to die. This is over in 2 Kings chapter 13. And Jehoash wasn't a particularly godly king, okay? I think sometimes that's one of the things that keeps us away from asking God for things is because we kind of think, I, I, I hadn't been a good enough boy to ask for that. As if it depended on how good a boy I've been. Depends on God. That's what it depends on. So sometimes I I think we don't go to God for that reason. But anyway, Jehoash went to see Elisha. Elisha was getting ready to die. And Elisha took bow and arrows and he said, open this window to the east. And he said, now take an arrow and shoot it out the window. He shot it out the window. Elisha said, the, the Lord's arrow of victory over Aram. Now take the rest of the arrows and strike the ground. And Jehoash took him and went, bam, bam, bam. And Elisha said, oh, you should have hit the ground seven or eight times. Then you would have completely destroyed Aram. Because you only hit it three times, you're going to defeat them three times. When the Lord, when the Lord says, okay, here, here's the window. Get, get your bucket out. Go get you a bucket. I mean, you know, not one of these little things. I mean, if you, got, if you can find a front end loader. <laughs> dump truck, whatever you can find. Because God loves to be generous. He loves to be generous, and there's, and, and you know, and, and he's never going to look at it and go, "Oh, you little piggy, huh? You want that much?" No, 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 no. He 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 delights in finding somebody who'll go, "Yes, sir, I'm going to take you at your word and do it." 150 gallons of wine, and then comes along. Oh, we seem to have skipped one, but anyway. Uh, yeah. Okay, and the next one was this other one? Huh. Okay. <clears throat> My bad. <sighs> you have saved the best for now. This doesn't mean that every moment is going to be great. Okay? But it does mean that when God is involved... Now can happen any time. 
You don't necessarily always see it coming when it's coming. In fact, it looked like the worst now that it could possibly be, and it turned into a really great now because the best had happened. And, and when God's involved, life is, is exciting to live that way because you can be in the middle of a situation that looks like this is, this, there's no way this can end good. And yet, God gets glory. And he does. We, we serve a God who does exceedingly, abundantly, above anything that, that we can ask or think. Now, a lot of people think that this particular verse or tend to quote this particular verse and say, you have saved the best to last, which he didn't say. He said now, but there are two things to consider in regard to that. First of all, with God, there is no last, at least not in the sense of this is the end of it. I mean, he is the first and the last. He's the end of some things, but there's no last with him. There's no, there's no end to him. And then secondly, with God, life becomes richer and deeper and more meaningful. We get so caught up in the minute to minute, hour to hour, day to day. You know, <laughs> now that we're in the, the 24-7 news cycle, uh, you know, it, it amazes me, especially every now and then I'll, I'll be listening and some news will come over and, uh, you know, um, unemployment is at its highest rate in the last 12 months. 12 months. Or, you know, something so-and-so, this is the worst it's been in 18 weeks. Really? 18 weeks? I mean, when I was a kid growing up, if something hadn't, if something didn't break a record that was at least ten years old, it wasn't even worth mentioning. It wasn't even worth talking about. And yet, that that time frame is kind of compressed to the point of this is as bad as it's been all week. Oh, and that, and we look at life that way. We we tend to. We tend to evaluate it that way. And that is, that is so small. There's got to be a setup. You know, if you, I don't know what your favorite television show is, but let's say you got a favorite television show. And let's say it's something as good as Doctor Who, which Margaret and I have been gotten, getting into. And, 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 and Doctor Who's a great show, but and it always, you know, at the end, there's this, uh, there's this uh, usually there's a wonderful ending to it, okay? I mean, it may be sad, it may be glad, it, but it's wonderful. Uh, but you know what? It took a whole hour to get there. And it wouldn't have been wonderful to turn it on and watch the last five minutes. Because some things had to happen to prepare for that. You know? And there are, there, we, we, have to, we have to understand that in our lives, there are some things that have to happen to bring us to points where we can go, yeah! And with God, when we're walking with God, that's what's happening. Because the scripture says that in everything, God is at work for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. And when we get to the end of life, it's not like, oh, I'm I'm dead now. No, uh uh-uh. It's, 
stepping over into the other side. You know, the older I get, when I was a little kid, I used to be afraid of death. Because I thought, I'm only eight, I don't want to die. But the older that I've gotten, you know, I'm kind of, it's not like, you know, I'm not volunteering today, okay? <laughs> but I am looking at it and kind of going, well, that doesn't look too bad. In fact, if everything I say I believe, I believe, it actually looks pretty good. Yeah, and I, and I can wait to get there in another 20, 30 years, but it might just be another 20 or 30 minutes. And when it comes, yeah, that's it. it. He had nothing that he's promised me so far ended up being wrong. I don't think that's going to be wrong either. Something to look forward to. <laughs> and so, one more click here. It gets better. Oh, I had them reversed. Okay, you can click it again. Yeah, sorry about that. It gets better. It gets better. It gets better in the Lord. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. It's just that simple. I spent a number of years running from the Lord. And I can tell you, life did not get better. There were some minutes that were better than I mean, I had some days that had been the best day I'd had in 18 days. <laughs> but it didn't get better. In the Lord, it gets better. And if you don't know the Lord, you don't know this. Because I, I, I know you don't. Because I know life doesn't roll that way. And if you do know the Lord, there are a lot of people who do know the Lord that don't know this. Because they're still trapped in the world's way of looking at things and evaluating things. This is the first of Jesus' miracles that he performed. And his disciples saw it. He revealed his glory and they put their faith in him. Would you stand with me? Those who are going to minister... Come forward, those who are going to pray with people. If you need prayer, you come. We don't necessarily do long, drawn-out things here. But we do take the time to pray. So if anyone needs prayer, if you've got a situation going on in your life, you've got something where, it, you know, it gets better, I could use some of that. Okay. Come and get some of it. Fill her up. It's a simple thing. Oh, but what I'm asking God to do is hard. Yeah, but what he's asking you to do is simple. Just come. Be prayed for. That's all you do. We're going to worship for a few moments. We'll wait on those who are coming for prayer.
love you guys. Don't forget this afternoon, 4 o'clock if you want to come to the orientation, uh, 4.30 or um, Shadowlands, which will also be playing next week, by the way. Raise your hand. Let me give you a blessing. May the God and Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who sent his Son into the world to do marvelous things among us, may he do marvelous things in your life. May you have the wisdom and the grace to know where he is, what he is doing, how he is moving, and to do the simple things that he tells you to do. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord.